Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Previously on Mentally Yours, I had this really weird experience. I was actually at the Tate Modern Gallery in London. I was in the room where the um, Rothko Seagram murals are, which are these like massive red and black canvases. And I, I could tell I was getting a migraine. I was getting the kind of visuals, which some people get before a, a migraine. It's part of what's called the aura phase. Um, and I was getting kind of zigzags down my vision. And I was thinking I've got about 20 minutes before I need to get home. I'm going to just have a quick look at these paintings. And I had like just this really weird experience where there was quite a loud video installation in the room next door and it was like humming and the sound like passed in front of me in like a sort of rectangle shape like a train and then I could taste the red in the painting like kind of like really gritty almost like how I imagine blood tastes um like very metallic and, th and then it turned into this like awful migraine it's mentally Hi, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. My name's Yvette, and this week it's just me. This week's guest is Kat Nichols. I'm going to be chatting to her about anorexia and self-harm, also about her blog and about her day job at Happyful and also Counselling Directory. I never really liked myself when I was younger and when I got to the age of 14 I kind of decided to pick on a certain feature that I didn't like and I picked my weight and that quite quickly spiralled into an eating disorder for me which was anorexia and then I had that for kind of two or three years. Was it clear to other people around you at that time? Sort of, was it clear to friends and family or um, did you keep it fairly hidden? It's the thing with eating disorders is that you get quite good at lying and hiding things from people. And because when I started off, I was quite slim already, the kind of any weight loss wasn't very noticeable. So I didn't get kind of found out for maybe a few kind of six months to a year. And then my parents found out and they managed to get me to the doctor straight away. When you went to the doctors so that, that first time, what kind of approach did they have for you? Well, apparently the very first appointment I had, and I don't really remember this very well, um, but my parents reminded me of it, that they were quite dismissive and just kind of told me to eat more. Um, this is going back kind of 15, 20 years. So hopefully I'd like to think things would be different if I went back now. 
So they did that first, but then eventually they saw that I was in need of help and they referred me on to counselling and then I eventually got referred to a specialist. So I'm not that familiar with eating disorders. Um, what's it like in terms of the specialists, then specialist help that you get? I mean, I've got friends who've had eating disorders and when I was in a mental health unit, I remember sort of we all had lunch together and that was obviously a particularly difficult time for them. Mm. Basically, how does the specialist help you? Yeah, so for me, the... One of the really important things that specialists did to help me was actually help me differentiate myself from the eating disorder. So I think when you have an eating disorder, you think there's almost like a voice in your head kind of telling you you're fat, you're ugly, all these other things. And it's very easy to think that that's coming from you. And what the specialist did was help me realize that it wasn't me. And she did this by getting me to write a letter to my eating disorder. And that differentiation really, really helped me kind of raise up my own voice and then argue against that other voice and that was how I managed to kind of slowly get back control and manage my eating again. Do you mind talking a little bit about the self-harm aspect as well? Was that separate or was that sort of tied in with eating disorder? Yeah of course I would say it was almost like a symptom of the actual eating disorder so I didn't like myself very much at all and when things kind of got too much there's a lot of guilt there's a lot of shame with eating disorders and a lot of self-hate and one of the only ways I found to express myself with that was to self-harm. Luckily it didn't go too far and it kind of sort it kind of regulated itself once I got through the eating disorder as well but I would definitely see it more as a symptom of the self-harm than an individual problem of its own. I hope you don't mind me asking this but why didn't you like yourself because I mean we hear Mm. about eating disorders a fair bit um, in teenage boys and girls and older people as well, but it does seem to be something that's discussed quite a lot in terms of teenage boys and girls. Mm. Why do you think that they're they're sort of fairly common? Because they are fairly common, aren't they? Yeah, of course. And I think whilst they obviously affect all ages, you definitely see them more in teenage kind of years. And I think that's because you're trying to find yourself. And that's a time when it's really difficult to find yourself. And there's all these different cliques in schools. I didn't feel like I fitted in with anybody. And then, of course, I kind of was looking at magazines and tv shows and everyone else was complaining about their weight i remember reading about the atkins diet at the time looking up to celebrities who were much you know very very slim and i just had the ideas connected that thin equaled equals pretty and i mean if you look at society now that hasn't really changed that much so I think it was the kind of combination of all those factors. And at school, there's a lot of pressures with exams. You know, it was around 14, 15 when I started studying for GCSEs. And it just all combines into this perfect storm for teenagers, I think, to have an eating disorder. It's quite noticeable you sort of said that things haven't really changed because I, I was thinking that as you were talking. I mean, I think we still have this idea in society, don't we, that, yeah, thin equals perfect. I mean, you only have to look at people on sort of Love Island, they're all yeah. a, a certain size and a certain sort of weight and advertising is still very limited when it comes to sort of the range of, of body shapes. Um, how much did that aspect um, influence you, do you think? Or do you think it was more about feeling bad about yourself from mm. sort of a social point of view? I definitely think it was mainly kind of me feeling bad about myself and the kind of social influence of kind of celebrities and that just kind of influenced my choices maybe it kind of made me pick an aspect of myself to focus my self-hate on and because I saw other people complaining around their weight and this isn't even just kind of celebrity culture it's the women around me you know family members maybe complaining about their weight as well and you learn that it's something for women to worry about and to not like about themselves so I picked that 
and went with it. But I don't think it's a cause of it. I think you have to have certain personality traits anyway and have certain kind of issues with yourself to begin with. But it definitely is a contributing factor. And I think that's why eating disorders are really tricky to handle when society is kind of giving you the same message as the eating disorder voice saying that thin is beautiful. So when society is telling you that as well, it's quite hard to build up your resilience and argue against it. You also mentioned sort of you might have family members who were sort of passing down the message too. Did you have any family members um, who had experience of eating disorders? No, none of my family members did. My mum's always kind of been on and off of uh, diets and always wanting to lose weight for health reasons. And again, when you're growing up, I think obviously it's not, you can't blame anybody and it's certainly not her fault. But you do start, you do take in those messages from a young age that weight is something to worry about. What advice um, would you give to young people now? Because obviously there's there's those pressures and argu- arguably there's sort of more pressures because you have sort of social media, you have Instagram, you sort of, mm. if you have a phone, you have this sort of constant bombardment. If you If you get it into your head that looking a certain way will make you happy or sort of make you a perfect person it's kind of always there isn't it yeah Uh, what would you say to a young person who is struggling at the moment with the things that you were struggling with at that age first of all I'd say you're definitely not alone I think it's very easy to feel very lonely in that place you think you're the only one struggling with it I think it's really important to know that there are people around you that can help you and to know that it doesn't actually have to be that way it doesn't have to be the way society sometimes tells you for example the body positivity movement is great and I think we can actually use tools like Instagram and social media to find positive role models and kind of unlearn what we've been learning but it is very difficult when you're in that space and I do think with eating disorders specifically you need outside help to get out of it so I think it's also up to the people around you to kind of recognize that and maybe pull you up and help you get that help if my parents didn't take me to the doctors I'm not sure what would have happened what kind of support um could friends sort of basically peers of the same age um, give somebody that's struggling in that way as well I think one of the most important things is to understand that the person isn't doing it because they want to they're not choosing to do what they're doing it's it's a constant battle it's someone with an eating disorder is constantly battling with themselves in their heads and it's not a choice. It's not something they're having fun doing. It's not a diet that's gone too far. It's a constant war in their head. So I think empathizing with that and not focusing so much on the food aspect of it and the weight aspect and just being there for them and offering support and saying you're there to listen and inquiring more about how they're feeling rather than telling them to eat more. That's it, because I can see how it could be quite hard to sort of focus on sort of the visual aspects. So, you know, someone's got thinner or, you know, someone's self-harmed. You can sort of focus on the, you know, you could see cuts or or bruises. Mm. But um, I suppose you need to get past that and think about, you know, what are the root causes and how you can support them. Um, looking back on that time in your life now, um, are there any things that you wished you'd done differently? That's a really interesting question because I think when you have an eating disorder, it, it changes the way you think. So I think if I'd gone back to that point, I probably wouldn't have done anything differently. Um because I was thinking in a really warped way and I don't think there's any way I could have gotten myself out of that. And I'm very thankful that my parents were there and my friends and family to support me and help get me out of that. Obviously, I'd love to say if I could go back, I would reach out for support earlier, but I don't think I would have done having that eating disorder. Now um, you've got a blog. 
I do, yes. Tell me all about that. Yeah, of course. So it's called Blue Joe of Happiness. And I started it in 2017. So I've actually been blogging for about 10 years now, I've realised. But I started a new one in 2017 just to focus more on content around kind of mental health, well-being and happiness and just get to write more about what I love and trying to help people who may have been in a similar situation to me, who may be struggling with their mental health or just don't like themselves very much or struggle with things that we all struggle with, like self-doubt and um anxiety as well and things like that Mm. um what are you hoping to achieve with it sort of overall so my overall kind of mission with that and kind of everything I do is to help show people that there is another way and that they can be happy and confident as they are kind of whatever body they're in or whatever place there are in their lives they have got the capacity to be happy where they are and it's just helping people figure that out and show them the way to do that because it's very hard but there are ways to do it and what kind of response have you had on social media have you had um have you had particularly people messaging you who've also had eating disorders or has it been sort of a mixture of people Um, it's been a mixture of people um i have kind of spoken to a couple of people who have eating disorders about um about their journeys as well and whenever i kind of share something so i struggled with anxiety a little bit last year and i still struggle with that from time to time And every time I mention it or talk about it on Instagram stories, for example, I always get a lot of response from that. People happy that I'm sharing my own story and giving them permission to kind of tell their own story as well. One thing I'd like to ask you is, I mean, you've made um, writing about mental health your day job and you're Mm. blogging about it as well, loads. Does that translate sort of to your personal life? You said that you've chatted to your boyfriend about it for a month. But do you... Do you discuss it a lot with um, your close friends and family still or is it something that you sort of keep sort of separate? I do definitely still, I talk about it quite a lot on social media Mm. Um, and then of course I will get friends or family kind of talking to me about that as well. It's all very open now. I've kind of released it into the world that I'm happy to talk about it. Everyone Mm. seems very comfortable to talk to me about it as well. Even face to face? Yeah, even face to face. That's great. Because to be honest, I've found sort of I've written and chatted about it a lot. And again, like you, I'll talk Mm. to people on social media and stuff. But it almost feels like sometimes I'm chatting about this sort of stuff more more honestly here basically than with sort of friends I actually see in real life but that's just that's just me no I would definitely agree with you it's definitely easier to talk about it on social media so I will go on Instagram stories and I will talk about um the symptoms of anxiety and then I won't go into work and necessarily tell anybody about it Mm. but then people at work follow me on Instagram and they see my stories so I might have my manager kind of pull me to one side and ask you know are you okay are you okay to be in the office today Mm. um and they're all fully aware and it's such it's so nice that they we all practice what we preach mm. so we can all recognize it in each other if we need a break um but i definitely agree it's easier to do it in writing and do it online yeah which is interesting <laughs> what do you think the um the sort of the key challenges are at the moment in terms of um the field of mental health because i think a lot of us sort of we talk about it more mm. and we share a lot more as you sort of say on social media but um what do you think are the, sort of the big th- challenges for all of us these days Mm. I think accessibility is a really big problem I think obviously the NHS are strained because now we are talking about it so much more everyone is so much more aware and comfortable to talk about it but the services aren't there Mm. and that is what hopefully counselling directory can help bridge the gap a little bit because if people want to go the private route there is that option Um, but I do think that's a big problem and I think 
a lot of people see it as maybe a bit of a trend or that it's something cool to talk about at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, who would have thought? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine, you know, like when I first sort of had a manic episode when I was, I don't know, 17, 18, I can't imagine that I would have thought, what, well, you know, one day this would, that I would, yeah, exactly. I would have yeah. read people sort of say on social media, oh, yeah, this is like a trend or, you know, it's, yeah. and it does seem very obvious t- to me that some people do think that having a, a mental illness is kind of like the trendy it's almost like it's the new black yeah isn't it exactly um, yeah so the idea like that is I mean I find it kind of funny but at the same time it's not funny is it because I know that I'm gonna have my condition for like for life whether it's oh, fashionable exactly. or not yeah and lots of people will be the same yeah but um it's very odd isn't it yeah uh, obviously a lot of the work that the royals did with heads together kind of helped propel it into the limelight a little bit more yeah which is great I think it's just I guess time will tell to see how I think things are changing and hopefully that will just continue to Mm. change what does your boyfriend think about all this um, the blogging and um, being so open about mental health yeah he absolutely loves it he's such a big supporter of everything Um, and of course he like a lot of people has his own mental health struggles as well so I think it's really refreshing for him to have someone he can talk to so openly about it and we can both help each other through bad patches Mm. tell me a bit about um, your job because you do some stuff for happy full magazine is that right yes that's right yep so i originally started working for them about five and a half years ago now so it's the company that started counseling directory and it was started up by two sisters who recognized that finding a counselor is really tricky and unless you went to your doctors and go through the NHS route. So they founded a directory of counsellors where you could pop in your postcode and just find a private counsellor near you and it's just another another option for people basically. I'm sure I've used that and to be honest it seems quite, probably shouldn't use this word, but it seems quite bonkers to me that that wasn't a thing that the NHS had already made yes. because um, yeah that, that really should have existed but I'm glad it exists so that's great. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it is quite strange, and of course now there are lots of other directories. But I think we have over ten thousand counsellors on there, so there's somewhere for wherever you are, and we also list charities on there as well, which is great. And Happy Full is the magazine. Yeah, and we've also got a website. So yeah, I've I've had a read of the magazine. It's great. You've had uh, cover stars like Bryony Gordon. Yes, it's brilliant. Um, what kind of stuff do you do day to day for them? So day to day for them, I basically write a lot of content. (laughs) So my job is primarily to write content for the website. So I will write fact sheets about different mental health conditions for counselling directory and um, types of therapy. So I've learned quite a lot in five and a half years, um, which is great because I'm so interested in mental health anyway. And then for Happy Fool, I write monthly articles and I kind of focus on self-care for them because we've kind of recognised as a whole company how important it is to take a proactive approach to your mental health and to look after yourself. So we're starting to produce a lot more content like that. So in terms of Happy Fool, have you noticed that there's um, particular subjects or trends that do better than others? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of um, information about children does very well. So actually just bragging one of my posts have done very well (laughs) is about um seven ways to help a child with a panic attack and i think it's really actionable articles like that that is giving people takeaway tips so those do really well children anything to do with anxiety is always um resonates really well and also we've noticed kind of more culture pieces so things about what's on tv so we wrote about kind of 13 reasons why and how that's influence the mental health arena and anything that kind of touches on pop culture and um, 
TV and movies does mm. really well. Do you have a rough idea of your your kind of average reader in terms of, so in terms of the demographic? Yeah, of course we know it's it's quite largely female audience at the moment, but we we try and make sure all of our articles kind of cover all bases and we are trying to actively encourage more male readers as well. Um, but that's the idea of Happy Fools for it to appeal to anyone and everyone. So from kind of teenagers up to parents and anyone in between. Mm. And can you tell us sort of a bit about like the key things that you'd see in every issue? So you've got like a cover star, like the one I sort of mentioned, you've got Bryony Gordon in one yeah. and she was talking about um, I think her recent book and her run and stuff. Yes. Um, what other key things do you have regularly? Yeah, well, we always have true stories. So I think that's one of the most important things about mental health is hearing it from the horse's mouth. You know, we want to hear it from people who are experiencing it. So we always have a good amount of true stories in there. We always have an explainer, so that's explaining something that's come up either in mental health or wellness. We have kind of positive news to kind of share a bit of positivity about it. And then really helpful features. And we also have our Happy Full Hacks as well, which are the more kind of actionable pieces that people can take away with them. Thanks very much to Kat Nichols. So it was really interesting chatting to Kat about Happy Full magazine um, and also the website. I think for me, the magazine itself, the, the paper form is the most interesting to me because the idea of having a magazine de- dedicated to mental health is something that I just, I mean, I couldn't have imagined having that when I was a teenager. So I suppose um, when I had depression when I was younger, you know, you'd go into Smith's and you'd see Cosmo, you'd see Minx magazine for anyone who remembers that. Um, but there was nothing, as far as I'm aware, that was to do with mental health. And I'm talking about there wasn't even sort of the odd story in um you know, girls' magazines, women's magazines, let alone a whole magazine dedicated to it. So I think it's really good that there's one magazine that is dedicated to it now. I think it's quite interesting. I think in a way it's kind of almost, I'm not sure how I'd feel if I was 17 sort of now and going through sort of the issues I was then, um, how I'd respond to a magazine like that. I suppose I'd be kind of, I might be interested, but I don't know how I'd respond like I said, I think it's really good that it's out there and that people can talk about it more. And generally, sort of the conversation is a lot broader. And I talked to Cass about how people are generally chatting more and, and happy full. And the website have sort of helped with that, I think. But um, yeah, I think the idea of having a whole magazine about mental health is it's very interesting. I'm glad it's there, but I'm not sure how I would have responded to it um, when I was sort of first kind of depressed because you know when you're younger when I was younger anyway you don't really know what's happening and certainly in my case you don't you kind of you're kind of in a sort of state of denial about it anyway so I don't know if I would have sort of picked it up or not really but anyway it's not just for teenagers she sort of talked about the different demographics it's kind of for all different ages and of course as well as the magazine they've got happyful.com which is easily accessible too and again, that's changed quite a lot from when I was younger because obviously we didn't really have the internet. So just the now the fact that we can just find out more about mental health issues online and there's more of a kind of community aspect around us online, um, that's great. But yeah, if you want to check it out, it's happyfull.com. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. 
If you've been affected by any of the things we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring. They're on 116123. Or you can go to their website, which is samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. Come and join us online. We've got a safe space for chatting about mental health issues. Just look up Mentally Yours on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at Mentally Yours with YRS at the end. See you next week. 799 